Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda. And we are just on the other side of the summer solstice, a new moon, Mercury is in retrograde. So hopefully you all are sorting through whatever may have come up for you. <laughs> new direction, emotions, clarity, whatever it may be. I hope that you are um, diving deeper into your self-connection and just coming to understand yourself in new ways, but being compassionate and kind with yourself throughout the entire process, especially in these times where so much is erupting collectively. And then, of course, it comes back down to um, triggering and erupting so much for us on an individual level. So Again, just hope that you all are learning, growing, stretching into those uncomfortable spaces with grace and that you're doing it without any self-judgment and with a lot of love. So today, what we are actually going to talk about on Reiki Radio is crystals for the resistance with Nicholas Pearson. So if you've been listening to the show for some time, you have already met Nicholas. Nicholas is the author of... Um, Stones of the Goddess. His newest book is called Crystal Basics. He has authored so many titles, and one of my favorites is Foundations of Reiki Rojo, which is a um, manual of Shodan and Okiden. It's an amazing book on Reiki. So you can learn more about all of the books that he's authored on his Amazon page, and I will put the link down in the show description. But today, he is here to inspire your self-healing with the support of crystals. So what we talk about are different aspects of resistance, um, some crystal mythology, which is really cool, and an upcoming event that he's hosting about crystals for the resistance where you can learn even more. So if you are someone who loves crystals, you may want to sign up for this event. It takes place on July 16th. It's $25, and the proceeds are going to support Black Lives Matter and the Okra Project. So if you want to attend this online event, Crystals for the Resistance, you can find the link down in the show description to purchase your tickets. And again, you can learn more about Nicholas and his work by following his Instagram, The Luminous Pearl. So that is it for now. Get comfortable and enjoy the show. Okay, everyone. So we are welcoming back Nicholas Pearson to Reiki Radio. Thank you so much for coming back to the show, Nicholas. Thank you so much for having me on, Yolanda. I'm really excited about today's conversation. Yeah, me too. And you know, I was thinking about it um, this morning. You actually had a new book release in February, right before um, everything, the world started shifting and turning upside down. So I just want to let people know that you do have a new book out called Crystal Basics. So before we get into today's conversation, which is huge, I think, mm -hmm. Crystals for the Resistance, could you tell us a little bit about this new book, um, Crystal Basics? Sure. Thanks so much for bringing it up. Um, this is what my my publisher is calling me my my magnum opus. It's it's everything in one place, as, at least as much as I could. Um, about half the book is how to. Another half of the book is your A to Z directory, 
Um, for many years, I thought I'd, I'd never actually write an A to Z encyclopedia because there's so many great ones out there. Um, but there are so few of those that really devote an equal amount of time and space to teaching you how and why crystals work and what they offer to us and how we can apply their energy in intelligent, meaningful, and, and easy ways. So I wanted to put that all in one place. It's got, you know, how and why crystals are formed, how we can figure out what their energy is, how to decode that, as well as the simple practices that go from meditating with the crystals, cleansing and programming them, to maybe more elaborate things like making elixirs and grids and layouts, um, other healing practices we can engage in. Um, so it's, it's definitely, a, um, it was a lot of fun to put together. It was a challenge to be brief on every crystal entry. I like to wax poetic, so I, I really tried to keep it, you know, bare bones basic on the information on each individual stone. So there was all that space to devote to working with them. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, well, it's no surprise with your other body of work that you have gone into such great detail to give us something that we can actually understand how to apply the information. So, yeah, definitely I'm going to make sure to include that down in the show description. It, that's also a great segue to today's conversation, um, Crystals for the Resistance. So before we get into this program that you've put together and what this is about, can we just talk a little bit first of why this came up for you, um, why this is an important topic for you, just so people are understanding our conversation. Yeah, wow. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. So, um, you know, I think a couple main themes are like many people around the world right now, I have felt relatively powerless in the wake of large systems, yeah. large events that no single individual can, can totally change. I mean, we can all contribute in some way. And, um, you know, my, my resources these days, my, my time and energy are very limited. So um, when I have the opportunity to use my platform in, in a time when we're facing a pandemic, when we are looking at things like equality, um, social justice, um, getting equitable treatment of people of, of all types um, really out there, um, I, I thought, you know, if so much of what I have been doing is behind the scenes with my spiritual practice or you know, surreptitiously donating to places where I can because, you know, money is one thing that I, I can easily do. Why not combine it all together? And so I thought, um, I think with, with what's happening in the world, um, with everything that we've got, I want to give people tools that help them feel like they can make a difference right. and that will empower them to take the actions that are appropriate, fair, and advisable for them. No two of us have exactly the same ripples to make, but we're all expected to make ripples. That part. And I'm mm. so glad that you bring this point up because, you know, a, a lot of us, like you say, want to do things to help to contribute, especially with all that's going on and a lot of people feeling um, helpless. But then mm. there's also sometimes a little bit of judgment out there of like, if people aren't doing things in a particular way, right? And just like you mm. said, I mean, like we all have a role to play and it's really more impactful when we're all showing up in these various ways to like cover the spectrum of what needs to be done. So this is really cool that with what you're providing, people can learn not only just about crystals, but how to work with these energies for their own spiritual practice and simultaneously, not just how we leave an impact and how we're showing up out in the world, but then um, part of the proceeds are also going to support different causes of what is going on around the planet. So it's like this beautiful twofold. Yeah. I mean, um, 
I think it is great to go out there and pray and make crystal grids and send Reiki to world events and, you know, to do the spiritual work, but that's only half of it. Mm -hmm. Um, If we aren't following that up with real world action, we're missing out on the most important piece. And, you know, there are so many different ways that different spiritual traditions and other practices kind of phrase that. But, you know, even in our Reiki precepts, you know, we've got all this beautiful internal stuff about not angering and not worrying and practice gratitude, but it's, it's going out and putting it into play by, by being diligent in our work, by showing up with kindness or compassion or appreciation for others that is, is meaningful. We can't do it all on the inside. We can't keep it all to ourselves. So, you know, by, by doing the the classes, I've been able to raise money for um, Black Lives Matter, as well as for the Okra Project, which um, feeds food insecure trans people of color. And, um, you know, I think as I, as I do more of these events, I may spotlight some other charities, but with what's happening on the world stage right now, those are two areas I really want to keep my focus for the time being. And, you know, as, as a white person of privilege, it's the least I can do. I mean, I have to own what actions I'm able to take. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a front lines kind of person. I won't be the best under pressure. I will support those people. I would donate money to bail them out of jail if need be. Um, But I'm not the front lines kind of guy. So I have to use the tools that are meaningful in my toolbox, just like I'm hoping everyone else is able to do. So we can't judge ourselves for not being where we want to be. We should, we should appreciate where we are. And that's the thing again, like, I'm so glad that you say that. So anyone listening who may be feeling bad about this, or again, like judging, like, why aren't people doing things in a particular way? It's good to know what we can do. And when you said that, I smile, because I'm thinking like, yeah, the people on the front lines need people to bail them out. Like, we all have a part to play again. So I want to get into the conversation, though. um, And I have to thank you, Nicholas, for all that you do. I mean, the work that you do in this world, but then also that you are um, so intentional and like make it more than just about, like you said, it's not just about us being in our own little spiritual bubble and, you know, like, Ooh, whatever it is, our practices, but how do we then take that out into action? Right. And I had an opportunity to um, experience the first crystal for a resistance event that you did. And one of the things that was so fascinating to me was the stories, the stories and the legends attached to the different crystals. Um, My favorite being the one about emeralds. I thought that was just absolutely fascinating. So I wanted to know, like, could you share a little bit about that? Like um, these stories and the the folklore attached to the crystals. I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. We just think like, oh, this is good for love or, oh, this is good for, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of sit in this interesting position in my, my world with crystals because um, my, my journey into crystal healing started with mythology and folklore. So um, when I was really young, uh, it was just my dad and me for a, a number of years. And when other families went to church on weekends, we went to the library, which was kind of like the cathedral of learning. Um, and I'll be forever grateful for those weekends. And um, it was pretty early on in my, my, my reading trajectory, if you will, that I fell in love with folk tales and fairy tales and world mythology, which led me into all sorts of other kind of spiritual branches that came off from that. But my, my first exposure to gemstones was looking at how ancient cultures used them and the myths that they kind of built around them. 
And I've always loved kind of watching how that thread travels through all the other beliefs and practices and uses that we've inherited today around crystals. Mm -hmm. um, there's certainly lots of independent sources that have pop up uh, all throughout history that have um, woven their threads into that tapestry. You know, there's certainly no single voice with any, any particular gemstone, but I love finding the common thread. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if we talk about emerald, for example, yeah. um, I think this is such a great one. I have, have a, a piece that was gifted to me by a friend here. Um, emerald is really like the stone for my personal resistance right now. Um, it is a stone that has popped up over and over and over again through all the different things that I've done. Um, it was a big part of my first book. Um, it's right there in the heart of the book. The middle chapter represents that, that middle part of us, the heart. Um, it showed up again in Stones of the Goddess, obviously as a heart-related stone. It shows up in my book on healing for the heart, but emerald is this really powerful stone of transmutation, of alchemy, and it's this sort of alchemical power of love. And um, the most famous myth about any emerald is the emerald that used to be in the crown of a much maligned angel. And there, there are lots of people on on all sides of the debate here about what kind of figure this angel was. But um, I, I really love the theosophical interpretation of them. And if, if you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about Lucifer. Right. So um, Lucifer is, um, you know, in, in Latin, that comes from luxem ferre, literally to carry the light earlier from that. It was Greek, phosphoros, which meant the same thing. Ultimately, it comes from like a, a Hebrew word that was uh, uh, an epithet ascribed to Venus, the morning star. So um, the, the, the literal passage in there doesn't refer to an angel, but we've kind of borrowed from a lot of mythos and balled up this character that has, you know, become our archetypal adversary in the Abrahamic faiths, but has been so many different things to so many different peoples. But we've got this story of the light bearer who, who leaves the celestial plane and ends up in the not so celestial plane, we'll say. And in, in the act of that fall or that descent, his crown with the emerald in it is, is struck by the flaming sword of St. Michael the Archangel and the emerald tum tum tumbles to earth. And so, um, you know, that emerald has, has played a lot of roles throughout history. It's been the Holy Grail, it was the emerald tablet, it was carved into a ring that King Solomon wore to command the spirits to build the temple. Um, it's, it's been a lot of things to a lot of people, but that emerald at the most fundamental level to me has always kind of reminded me of, of one of the truths that emerald leads us to. And I find this spelled out so clearly in a modern day practice of gemstone therapy, where emerald is kind of seen as the, we'll say the, the torch holder of the, the archetype of the, the, the green ray, the, the fundamental spiritual energy that is green, not just the color, but the sound, the sight, the smell, the, the spiritual sustenance that green represents. And if we look in the world around us, you know, we live in a very green world, mm -hmm. at least when it's not developed. Right. So there's this sense of physicality and materialism that comes from emerald. And emerald really gets us in touch with the fact that everything we can see and experience in the world of form is a direct manifestation of divine love. There is nothing that we can't look at, see, or touch that isn't somehow a byproduct of, of unconditional love, of the love of creator, love of the universe. And if we think about how emerald plays into that initial myth, we start to think about that myth differently. Maybe it wasn't someone being cast out for being rebellious, but maybe it was this idea of bringing the light to the material plane so we could learn to experience that love of creator through material means rather than just simply 
oneness and light. I mean, nobody grows that way. There's nothing to grow because there is no distance, no separation. Um, and it's, it's this perceived distance between us that gives us the opportunity to learn to love in new ways. And so if we, if we look at the role of, of Lucifer as the rebellious angel, the, the leader of a revolution, then I think part of that story is to tell us that really entirely giving ourselves over to love is a rebellious act. If we want to invert and subvert and transmute what's happening in the world today, it starts by loving yourself. And it is in a world where the media feeds us images of what we should look like if we want to be loved, what we should think and act like if we want to be loved. Um, when we love ourselves anyway, in spite of not meeting those um, unrealistic expectations, that's what changes things. When you are a person who's not got a perfect figure, when you are a person whose skin color is not you know, glistening white, when you don't have that sort of nuclear family um, and you don't live the cis-heteronormative patriarchal picture, mm -hmm. if you love yourself anyway, that is an act of revolution. And that's what Emerald is here to spark us into doing, loving ourselves so radically that nobody can take that away from you. Then Listen, I want to scream, Nicholas. Like, I'm like, yes, honey. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but I love this, what you're sharing, because it, it really, <clears throat> I think, um, helps to paint a picture and excite clearly but um paint this picture of because i think there's this idea i don't know when a lot of people work with crystals i don't know if there's this understanding of the depth to them and how much we can learn from them so you saying this let's say for example if i saw an emerald and it's green like at a basic level like someone may think like oh emerald heart chakra so i'm gonna hold the emerald and i'm gonna work on my heart chakra energy. But again, with what you just shared, it gives so much more depth and impact to really the strength and the energy and um, what we can connect to through this, the stone, but also the story. So I wanted to ask, is that part of why you include so much of the, the um, folklore and the um, mythology into the actual class that you're providing? It is. You know, um, there, there is data that tells us people respond to stories better than data. I, I could bore everyone with numbers and um, we'd all be just that. We'd be bored. Um, numbers don't inspire us, but storytelling does. And there is a primal need among humans of, of all, all places, all creeds, all eras, um, to tell stories. It is probably the most, one of the most universal things about being human. It is the need for story. And so I think looking at the stories that have been passed down to us and maybe weaving them a little bit differently in our modern era, applying them appropriately in our modern day era, um, allows us to not just pass the story forward, but to add our lens, like filter it through our lens and add our voice to that, that tapestry of voices again. So um, I think storytelling is so important. Plus it's fun. I, I, I love bridging the, the science, the metaphysics, the folklore of it all into one. Um, I, I get most excited when I can bridge all those things together. So, I mean, really it's, it's kind of selfish. That's why I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But I have to say, okay, so let's just say we pointed out um, Emerald and you spoke about you know, this radical love, which I love, right? And that whole idea. But then in the course, you also go into other crystals and how they can support 
how we are not just healing, but how we are being in these times of change, right? So there were a few things. Um, one, I love that you said, when we love ourselves, we lift others in love. That was yeah. such a beautiful thing to say. But also you spoke a bit about spiritual bypassing. And I want to talk mm -hmm. about this too, because, you know, a lot of people who may have different sensitivities um, do struggle with like, oh, I want to hide from everything that's going on because I just can't take it emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so with what you've shared so far, again, like we all have different ways that we can support mm -hmm. um, these changes that are going on. But could you talk a little bit about that and how, you know, because there was a stone that I cannot say if you paid me <laughs> to say it that supported that. So could you talk a little bit about different stones that even help us with that type of resistance within ourselves? Yeah. Spiritual bypassing is something that I'm seeing so many more conversations about lately. And that's, that's really important, meaningful stuff. So thank you for bringing it up. Um, for anyone listening who maybe is, is not entirely aware of what that term means. Um, it, I think it was uh, in, coined in the 1980s by a guy who was both a, um, psychologist and a, a Buddhist teacher. And um, it reflects the tendency for people to deflect or avoid the uncomfortable bits in life via spiritual teachings or practices. So, you know, um, a, a really common one that I'm seeing today among people who are genuinely well-intentioned, I believe, is I see the oneness in us all. I see the common spirit. I don't see your color. I don't see your race. But what you're really saying is I'm in such a quote unquote, evolved place that I don't have to put myself in your shoes. I don't have to have empathy because we're all in this together. So what does it matter if your struggle is different than mine? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the end result of spiritual bypassing, even if it's not someone's intent. So when we, when we think that shining a light on the problem will only magnify the problem, we become part of the problem. And so we have to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations. There's, um, you know, part of this comes from a a blending of spiritual uh, practices and we'll say pop psychology that kind of becomes the melting pot of the modern metaphysical world. Um, so you know, we've got this idea of neuro-linguistic programming where you, you can't you can't effectively embrace a negative. So we have to put things in a positive. If mm -hmm. I say, don't think of the pink elephant, you think of a pink elephant. But that's that's not really how language and culture have worked. That's not how spiritual teachings have worked throughout history. Um, you see lots of knots. They're there in the Reiki principles. You know, don't do this, don't do that. Um, and um, we can't just interpret everything through our, our modern metaphysical lens. We have to be critical thinkers. And absolutely, shine a light on what's a problem. If if you have a tumor growing on your shoulder and you say, well, I'm going to focus on my other shoulder, which has no tumor, and I'm only going to focus on what's right, we're not going to change that. Right. So we have a cancer in society today. We have several of them. And we can't ignore them to only talk about what's working right. Um, what we can do if we really must celebrate a positive is celebrate the positive that is directly displacing the negative. So, you know, celebrate the people doing the work on the front line, celebrate the people who have a different experience than you, put a spotlight on them. Right. I am right now um, in the process of reading a bunch of, well, a handful, because there aren't a bunch, of crystal books written by women of color. Um, yeah. Because I, I, I was looking over my library and I thought, oh my gosh, all these white people wrote all these books. Where are the voices of color in my library? Where are the voices of color teaching about crystals? And, you know, telling their stories and their experiences. So, you know, that's, that's a small thing I can do. It, 
identifies the problem and, and recognizes it. And then I'm, I'm looking at something positive I can do to upset that balance. So instead of bypassing it, we can embrace it and change it inside and out. Um, but so the stone I mentioned in, in the workshop that I think is really helpful for this whole theme of spiritual bypassing is called phosphosiderite. Um, and it's a hydrated phosphate of iron, um, which means that it's got this phosphorus and oxygen base on it. So phosphorus comes from that, that Greek word meaning light bearer. So mm -hmm. it's bringing light to things. The, um, the water content of it tells us that it's focused a lot on our emotional body. And then iron, it's, it's kind of weird to have this kind of warm and fuzzy looking stone. It's, you know, usually lilac or magenta, bright pink, um, but it's got its color coming from iron. Um, iron is something that we often see in like um, reds and oranges, sometimes yellows, but also the cool colors like blues and greens. So to have this sort of blending of, of warm and cool together to make this bright magenta is, is unusual for an iron-based mineral. Um, iron is the planetary middle of Mars. So Mars is conflict, it's ambition, it's drive, it's war. So, you know, where do we have those hot, fiery emotions? Where do they come up in our lives? And how can we shed a light on them? That's what phosphosiderite is doing at, at a sort of um, mechanical level. That's, that's the process it undertakes to help us confront maybe spiritual bypassing or anything else. For me, it's the stone that helps us channel our frustration, our angst, our worry, our anger, any of that, into something productive. Yeah. And we don't do that by bypassing it. We, we do it by embracing it. You know, hearing you say that, it just dawned on me, you know, the way that you share um, all of the information that you share about crystals, the stories you tell, the detail you give, even the example you just gave, I think it helps us to see ourselves in nature. You know, it helps us to see ourselves in the crystal. It helps us to understand. Do you know what I'm trying to say? There's yeah. something about it where the way that you do it, it's like, oh, I can see myself in this. So now I can work with it in a totally different way. Yeah, if, it, if it's not relatable, we won't do anything with it. And it, right. it, it all goes back to that hermetic principle of um, correspondence, as above, so below. Right. And, and even before the principle of correspondence, we've got the principle of mentalism. It's all mind. Right. So we are all one in the mind of creator. We are all thoughts in the divine mind. And an idea never leaves its source. Mm -hmm. I can write a book. I can visit a bookstore, go, on a sh go see it on a shelf. And it's obviously separate from me. It's a distinct entity, but it's still in here. I can't yes. separate it from what's in my heart mind. I can't take those ideas out of me and divorce them of me altogether. So it's the same thing as us. We are all first ideas in the mind of creator, whether we are human beings or rocks or blades of grass or molecules of nitrogen in the atmosphere. So um, when we see the interconnectedness of it, we can, we can embrace the ways that it's going to help us, I think. Yeah. And the way that you're saying it, too, it's like almost it feels like you, you can have your own little therapy session with crystals, really, once yeah. you understand um, all of this information connected with them. But also, I know that you're also big on, you know, what we feel, like the information we naturally get from the stones and the crystals. So could you talk a little bit about that, like how we can, aside from just knowing what the crystals are about, what their stories are, how do we make that personal connection with them? Um, there, for a good amount of my um, public work with crystals, I would talk about working with them and, you know, um, using them or, or maybe co-creating with them so it doesn't sound quite so um, inert and materialist. Uh, and so many times you kind of get met with blank stares on that bit. Like they, they like the idea of it. People 
will understand the message of the stone, but what does this working look like? And you know, for me personally, it doesn't look very exciting from an outside observer. It's, it's sitting down in some relative stillness or not, as the case might be, and just being present. How, how does it evoke a feeling within me? What does the weight of it in my hand do? What is it like when I close my eyes and, and just kind of observe the energy of the stone within me? And over time, as you do this, as you build that sort of personal relationship with the stones, you start to see the give and the take. You know, part of what crystals do is they reflect our stuff to us. Yes. Part of what they do is help us catalyze it and change it. Part of it, obviously, is they bring their own energy to the table. So it's only by, by sitting in that stillness, by really getting a feel for it on a personal level that you know how it impacts you. If we understand the mechanism of a stone and if we understand our baggage, we can kind of predict the end result, kind of. And that's why if we look at it only on the surface level, what is the end result? When you read different blogs or different books or you know, scroll through different memes, you see such radically different uses for the same stones. And it's because we're not looking at what's driving the relationship. We're only looking at the end product of the relationship. And that's, that's not relationships are about in real life. It's not, what can I get out of this? Right. It's what can we create together? And we can only do that when we know what we bring to the table and what the other party brings to the table. With human beings, you know, it's, it's the same deal. We don't just call someone up we met once and are casually friends with on Facebook if we have to move all of a sudden or we have a, you know, death in the family. We, we reserve those sorts of phone calls, those kinds of favors for people we've built a relationship with. And I think it should be the same for our stones. Yes. Yeah. And that's really, really beautiful. And I have to say, um, I'm also envisioning the grid that you made and that was part of the class. I mean, I was so mesmerized by this, the detail, but also, um, well, I, I won't try to describe like why it's so beautiful, but you can look <laughs> Nicholas's Facebook page and see this beautiful grid. So I wanted to share that too, because um, within the class you had a section where we meditate on this grid. So mm -hmm. aside from just the personal work, can you talk about how we're able to work with grids um, for more of like a collective purpose, not just again in my own personal bubble? Yeah, so I think it is really imperative that we do our personal work first and foremost. But if we have the means to, certainly expand that bubble a bit. Because um, if we clean up our own baggage, our own junk, there's less junk yes. in planet Earth. Right. But if we have the means to envision a better future for us all, certainly we can. Follow it up with real world action. But um, part of the, the joy of making crystal grids is that their energy is synergistic, it is exponential. So if we put three crystals together, we're not just adding the energy fields of those three, we're multiplying them by one another. And um, this exponential versus additive energy means that even a, a relatively small grid has a much larger sphere of influence. Um, so I love using crystal grids for bigger goals because they, they represent things coming together. And right now, for the human race to survive and blossom and flourish we have to come together so in that particular grid i made this big ring of quartz crystals from all around the world yes. um, and, and i made that ring specifically quartz because it it is one very common mineral it's one we all know and love and it comes in every color of the rainbow in so many different sizes and shapes um every every country every continent actually produces quartz. Um, I didn't make it to the grid. I even have one crystal in my collection from Antarctica. So I've got all seven wow. continents somewhere. 
it'll go in the next grid. How's that? Um, so I, I really wanted to demonstrate what happens when we come together in solidarity and unity in spite of our differences and not, not to be a spiritual bypasser, but in spite of all the differences we see on the surface level, fundamentally, all of those quartzes are the same composition, chemically speaking, the same structure on a molecular level. And it's tiny trace amounts of other things, tiny changes in their environments that afford for, for different shaped faces and, and other things. They all have more or less the same angles from face to face. They all have more or less the same axes within. Um, and so what we see as different is much less important than what's the same. And so um, that's not that we can't celebrate our differences. It's not that we can't empathize with one another's differences. Of course, I'm not saying that, right. but we can still come together for a common cause. And that's really what I want to see us doing. I want us to lift one another up and, you know, join in and focus on some principle that's going to unite us for the better. Yeah, and I think that's like, you know, so important in all of this, because it's interesting, you mentioned, yeah, there is a lot of, you know, like, we are the same, or we are one, which, you know, ultimately, yes, true, like, underneath it all, we are of the same source. But, you know, it's, it's interesting now, like, what is erupting in so many, while yes, on one side of the fence, there are a lot of people struggling to understand that, to see it, to hear it, whatever the case may be, to recognize our differences and um, the disparity and oh, oh, just so many layers. I can't, even, you know, it's been an emotional roller coaster. However, um, it's also been beautiful to see how many people are now questioning and recognizing like, wow, I really didn't know. I really had no idea. I was totally under unaware. And the, the, level of compassion that's bursting just in that and then again with that comes all of these undertones these undercurrents of like healing that come rushing up that mm. all of us are starting to contend with now you know and again i love that you have these stories that accompany the crystals and the things that we may be attracted to to understand on deeper levels like what it is i'm holding i'm not going to judge it this makes sense. I can understand it. And I can work with earth to really transmute and then have an impact on how I'm showing up back out in the world. I mean, it's all really fascinating. Yeah. There's, I mean, I, I carry my own internal bias. If you have a, a human experience, you have human bias. There's no right. way around that. And over the last couple of years, especially, but you know, I'd say throughout my adult life, I've, I've kind of been in periods of being more aware and less aware of it. And, um, you know, even within my, my own community as an LGBTQ person, I, I never realized the unconscious bias I held toward people that I consider my family. And so that's something that I have really worked on in the past few years. And now, now I see so many more people having those conversations. And now that I've done it with the sort of nucleus that I identify with the most, I'm starting to to feel very comfortable with the unconscious bias that I, I was raised with and programmed with about things that I, I never could see before. And there are crystals that can catalyze that. Sometimes we yeah. can't see our own stuff. Right. Um, and, and an outside source is great, but uh, sometimes we, we need 
something a little closer to home. And if we want to be responsible, we have to do the work ourselves. I mean, we, we can't call up our, our friend who's a person of color to explain racism every time we get accused of it. We, we got to start looking at our own actions. So having something that can catalyze that process is really helpful. And I think Obsidian is a really valuable tool. Obsidian is this really, um, we'll say honest friend with no filter. You know, you're going out for the night, and just before you, you head out for the club, you've got that friend who looks out once up and down and goes, really? And you're like, oh gosh, what I do? And you know, you go change your handbag or your shoes or whatever it is. And uh, you feel so much better and, and, and you have a much more exciting night out because you've, you've put yourself together even better. That's kind of what Obsidian's like, except it's not concerned about what you're wearing or, or how you're gonna present yourself for a night of fun. It's concerned with like, what is the baggage you carry? And how can you deal with that? And if we use Obsidian intelligently, the first thing it offers to us is a chance to strengthen our resolve, to kind of hone our mental fortitude so we can cut through the BS because our ego wants to believe the BS. It's much better than the alternative yeah. in some cases, at least superficially. To the right. ego, it's better than the alternative. Um, but the real you is not your ego. Your ego is a tool, just like your mind is a tool. And um, the, the real you wants to kind of sort through that. So first we get the strength from Obsidian, and secondly, Obsidian is this honest mirror that, that just holds up the mirror and says, okay, here's what I see. It's up to you to do something about it. But I think there are stones that can help us with those introspective processes. And Obsidian's a really easy one to find, so it's one I love to talk about and recommend a lot. Um, there's another one called Arfvedsonite um, that we talked about in, in, the in the class, and we'll talk about again a little bit more that is also helpful for kind of confronting where are these patterns, where do we have unconscious bias, how can I do something about it? Um, we could even look at something like Opal, which where Obsidian is kind of dark and almost um, shadow-oriented, Opal is about light. So instead of saying, where is your shadow? It says, where is your light? Where is your strength? How can you bring that to the table? Opal's all about celebrating diversity. So if there's a piece of you that, that doesn't celebrate diversity, it can highlight that. Where's the cognitive dissonance coming from? What makes you uncomfortable about this? And, and Opal often, I'm finding, for me at least, is about where do I have unrealized potential? Where am I suppressing a part of myself? Where do I feel uncomfortable because I identify with someone? versus how I don't identify with someone um, like Obsidian could do. You know, this <clears throat> is the thing. So I'm, I'm really glad that you spoke of Obsidian in this way because I think it highlights the work, the accountability and responsibility that we still mm -hmm. have in working with crystals. Because I think sometimes people think like, almost like the crystal will do the work for you <laughs> rather than yeah. recognizing like what it's revealing for you to work on yourself. And as you're saying it too, it made me think of Reiki and how, you know, we go through the attunement process. And as we work, the same happens, like the energy that life force moves and different things are revealed to us. And we play a part in how we navigate what to do with what is then revealed to us. So it's really, really cool. I mean, it, um, I guess I never really thought of it in that way, like the energy from the crystals and what it is like evoking in my space to yeah. get me to look at or to help me to look at in a different way. Absolutely. You know, they, if, if we look at like the fundamental principles, the mechanisms that drive all things in crystal energy, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of those prime things they do is they reflect and they refract. They 
change our our focus. They reflect things back to us. They they magnify the things that we're looking at as well as magnify the way we send energy out, not just the way it's turned inwards. Yes. Um, but the other thing about them is when we when we kind of add up all the fundamental properties together, we get something that becomes a catalyst. And so, you know, the very definition of a catalyst is something that reduces the amount of effort or energy required to achieve an outcome. So, you know, biologically, it's it's all of the, um, you know, all the little proteins that we make that um, help us metabolize things. Um, it is, you know, using the, the, the right kind of chemical agent to speed up a chemical reaction, but spiritually speaking, catalysts might lower the amount of effort required to achieve an outcome, but they don't take the work away. No crystal yeah. is a magic bullet. If, if we you know, wear rose quartz all the time, you're not magically transmuted into a being of unconditional love. Rose quartz may actually stir forth the patterns you've been carrying that are swept under the rug that show you where you're not experiencing unconditional love in your life, which is why you can't you know, just buy 50 pounds of your, your favorite stone that you read in a book that's going to solve all your problems and expect it to solve all your problems. You got to right. do the work. Right. I love that. And it's interesting too, that reminds me of um, when you're saying it, like the yin and the yang of the crystals, like even you speaking about them being like receptive, but also like projecting like, yeah, I mean, it's just so fascinating. So I have to ask you about this too. And I just want to let everyone listening know, don't worry, you didn't miss the class. Well, you missed the first one, but Nicholas is going to offer it again, July 16th. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first I wanted to talk to you about, um, or ask you about the ethics of crystal buying, because this is a topic of conversation. And a lot of people are even curious about, well, how do I know which are the crystals to buy? So could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I am so grateful that you asked this. I'm so grateful to see more conversations about it happening in the world today. Um, there's a lot of misinformation on, on all ends of the spectrum. There are a lot of people who are blissfully unaware that their crystals might, might be involved in some, we'll say, less than ethical and less than healthy practices. And then we do know, many of us, that not everything is mind well. We've probably heard of blood diamonds. We might right. know about the fact that lapis lazuli mined in Afghanistan often um, funds some, we'll say, terrorist activity. Um, the, the sale of rocks can can be translated to the purchasing of um, you know, awesome other things. So uh, maybe aren't also have a lot, what ends up happening in circumstances like this is we find people trying to do the best they can with the tools they've got. Right. But we isn't just asking, hey, do you know where this came from? And it's a double-edged sword. That that question can mean two different things. It can mean, where did you personally get it? It can also mean, where did this stone come from in Mother Earth? Where was it mined? And there'll be lots of times your local shops just won't know because stones pass through so many links in the supply chain. Um, you know, we, we, we don't go to Joann's and ask, if they know exactly who wove the fabrics they're selling and right. um, whether the dyes were, were ethically sourced. And it's going to be the same for our crystal vendors. But I think there are more people trying to share the information they've got. Um, you know, there's a lot of worry about the mining practices in Madagascar right now. And so many of the healing stones that we see on the market do come from Madagascar. It's a rich mineral place, but it's also a very, very poor country. So there's a lot of child labor being used. There's a lot of really unhealthy um, 
practices that are out there, but the, the worst of it isn't being done by the people who are mining rose quartz or ocean jasper or fluorite or labradorite. It's, it's people who are mining mica being used in our technology, our cell phones. Um, you know, if we talk about the, the horrific practices in Africa around mining, of course, we've got our gemstones that are fueling it like diamonds and emeralds. Um, but it's also things like ores of cobalt. And so you've got people who are sitting here complaining about um, the crystal healing industry, judging the crystal healing industry. How are you, you know, able to be um, in, uh, someone who's got an earth-based spiritual path while the things you're buying are raping and pillaging Mother Earth, and yet they're complaining about it? with a cell phone, a cell phone. <laughs> made from cobalt and other things that have a much bigger environmental and social impact than somebody's amethyst or rose quartz. So um, we have to ask the questions. We have to be prepared to, to be met with a lot of, I don't know, or I got this at a trade show. My vendor sells rocks from all over the world. They didn't disclose where this batch of tumbled rose quartz came from right. because tumbled rose quartz is mined in so many different places. Um, and, the other part of the equation is a lot of consumers maybe aren't prepared to put their money where their mouth is because to buy only um, small batch sustainably harvested stones is gonna you know, drive up the market price. Years and years ago when organic produce was just before it became popular, it was much more expensive compared to the conventionally grown stuff. Right. Um, and we're starting to see those prices equalize a little bit as years go on, but um, it will always be more expensive. And it's going to be the same with our stones. Um, so find the small mom and pop shops that, that shop as close to the source as possible. Go to, you know, visit local rock and mineral shows and buy from rock hounds who've been collecting for a long time. I mean, mining practices 50 years ago, 20 years ago were much better than they are today. So if you buy a rock that's been in someone's collection that long, you're not contributing to today's mining industry. So there are ways around it. Um, but I mean, the best we can do is just start asking questions and start educating ourselves and, and be willing to invest appropriately, invest from small businesses and invest from people who do know their sources. And if you can't, I mean, do the best you can anyway. Yeah. I'm not saying feel bad every time you buy a crystal because it might be negatively impacting someone's life. Um, there are people, um, one of the, the biggest importer of healing stones from Madagascar, like the, the mines he owns have funded the building of schools. He only employs adult labor. Um, there, there is many, I won't say there are as many, but there are people out there doing good with it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a double-edged sword. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping we can have these uncomfortable conversations more. Like we're having them about race, like we're yeah. having them about gender identity, like we're having them about privilege. We can have the same conversations about our rocks, about our herbs, about our books. And it's a time. It's like you can't even escape it now. I mean, again, it's funny just thinking back to the name of the class, Crystals for the Resistance, but then also thinking of like how it is becoming harder and harder for us to resist anything um, that the light is being shown on in terms of like our stuff, no matter what it is, our judgments, our, you know, our anger, all, all of these things that are contributing to the unrest, but also knowing that in a lot, I mean, it's necessary. Like we have to be able to see these things to understand these things so that we can do something about it. So I do want to talk a bit about the class um, so that people can better understand what this is about, what they can expect and how they can join. So could you tell us about Crystals for the Resistance? Who, it's online, obviously nowadays everything's online. 
for but sure. Yeah. So who is this for? I think it's for everyone, but just, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would like to believe it's for everyone too, because who isn't resisting something in their lives? Right. This is not just for people on the front line who are marching for, um, you know, black lives, who are marching for LGBTQ lives, who are marching for immigrants' rights or women's rights. Um, this is for everybody because everyone is resisting some oppressive system in their life, even right. if it's coming from within. Yes. We are all resisting fear. We are all resisting misinformation. We are all resisting division, separation, hatred, disgust, even if it's coming from within. So I, I like to believe it's for everybody, but I also recognize there, there are certain people who will be motivated to embrace this than others. Um, so the class itself is going to be um, on Thursday, July 16th. I almost said June. That's come and gone. Um, Thursday, July 16th, um, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. There will be a recording available. So if anyone wants to join, it's 25 bucks. I will send out a link to the replay. Uh, I do have a limited number of spots who can be in the, the Zoom classroom with me. So um, if there's much bigger, we'll say, uh, response, I might have to upgrade that and I'm willing to. Um, but 50% of my proceeds are going to be donated to charity. Um, currently, I'm going to continue supporting the same two, which are Black Lives Matter and the Okra Project. Um, I was able to raise a couple hundred bucks uh, from the first time around, and we had a week to advertise. So I'm, I'm really hoping we can do more. Um, because it was a small class, I actually donated all of the proceeds last time around. Wow. Um, so, you know, that, that offer stands. If it's a small turnout, I'm, I'm willing to do that because this is not for me. This is for you you this is for everybody yeah. and I, I really want people to have those tools so we'll, we'll talk crystals I'll, I'll hold up specimens we'll see it in the virtual classroom we'll do some some meditative work together uh, I, I can't promise which stones we're going to talk about I have I have about 40 or so that are on my wish list of things that we can cover there'll be some repeats from last time things like emerald and phosphosiderite and other things that I think are really timely and everyone can benefit from but I want to cover crystals I didn't get to last time we'll make a new grid we will do a new meditation um, we might even talk about some more actionable things we can do with crystals on the front lines and um, I do promise I've got I've got and he's up my sleeve with this topic. I've got some other project I'm looking forward to releasing when the time is right. I'm hard at work on it in between all of my other projects. Yeah. Um, I, am, I am writing other things and doing other things too, but I, I'm, I've got this fire underneath me. And if, if this is one way I can use my platform, then, then I'm gonna. And it's so inspiring, Nicholas. And it's funny, I was about to ask you, like, oh, are you writing more? Of course you are. I mean, that would have been a silly <laughs> question. Of course you are. <laughs> but um, I do want to say I am so glad that I happened to just see it. I, you know, see that you were doing this. And um, the reason I think it's for everyone is because, you know, there's so much that you learn just in the way that you teach and the way that you share and the storytelling, just like you said. I mean, so for people who are interested in crystals, this is like a gold mine for them. But even if you're not, it's so interesting. Just the stories alone were fascinating, you know, and also held up that mirror for introspection of like, wow, so what does that really mean? How does that relate to me personally? Um, regardless, like you said, we all have things that we are resisting. So I think this is a powerful class. It's only $25. It's online. The recording is available. July 16th, you have plenty of time to prepare for this. So it starts at 4 p.m. Pacific. I had to put it in my calendar. 7 p.m. Eastern. And the links will be down again in the show description. So it's absolutely perfect. <laughs> well, thank you.
Yeah, no, thank you. Really, truly, thank you. And thank you so much again for all the work that you provide. And I just want to say for um, if anyone is new to the show and hasn't yet had an opportunity to hear Nicholas on the podcast before, um, I really do recommend going back and listening to the interviews with you about um, your book. I'm, that is just like one of my favorite books. It's what I use now in classes to teach. I can't tell you how many messages I've received now from people who love your book. And um, Crystals of the Goddess, that or Stones of the Goddess, sorry. I love this book too. So just really quickly, could you give us a bit about a few of the books that you have for anyone listening? Sure. I mean, since it's Reiki Radio, let's, yeah. let's start with Reiki. So the book is called Foundations of Reiki Ryoho, and it is a manual for first and second degree. I actually wrote it to be my classroom text and started out as a pile of notes I'd print out for my students to supplement the other texts I was using to teach. And then I thought, what if I just publish this? Right. So I, I expanded. I did a ton more research. Um, as time goes on, uh, it's something I, I would like to revise. I'm, I'm learning and responding to the um, the, the academic research that's coming up about Reiki. So I, I do hope to, to update things as time goes on. Not, not significant changes, but there will be more. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I tried to make it as hands-on as possible. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to storytelling. So I really love talking history. I really love talking language. Those are big things that come into play there. But, you know, Reiki is an experiential thing. So it goes through the experience of Reiki, which of course you can't get solely from reading a book, but right. it might enrich your experience. And then since, you know, since you mentioned Sons of the Goddess, and I think the work of reclaiming at least the themes and symbolism of the divine feminine is so vital to the resistance itself. I mean, how, how can you stand and support others and not recognize the divinity inherent in all things feminine? Right. How can we not recognize the current of divine feminine and divine masculine within us? Um, and, and expect healing to result. So um, that, was, that was a really special book for me because it wasn't what I was working on at the time. It wasn't what I expected to write. It was a little tap on the shoulder from Spirit that I tried to brush off. And then, then it was a harder than a tap. And finally, it was like I was being knocked <laughs> over by this voice saying, hey, you got to do this thing. So um, Sons of the Goddess was really near and dear to me. Um, it went in a very different direction, visually speaking for the book. A lot of my crystal books are picture of a crystal, plain backgrounds, because we want, want the focus to be on the stone. But um, my, my fiance, who's also my photographer and, and resident artist and creative genius, was uh, given somewhat free reign to make the images in that book. A lot of the, the pictures look like they are kind of snapshots of rituals or meditations or altars that celebrate the stone as the embodiment of the divine feminine. Um, so we, we wanted to make that look and feel different because it is it's a different kind of magic in that book. And it, it's got a, a directory of about 106, 107, I think, stones in there um, from real common ones that the ancients used to connect to the divine feminine to brand new stuff that's never never really been written about before that deserves its place in, in the celebration of the divine feminine. And you know, who, who is the ultimate embodiment of women's rights but Mother Earth herself? How can we claim to be pro-women's rights and not pro-Earth's rights? I mean, mm -hmm. she's the mother to us all. So um, we gotta we gotta channel that feminism as intersectionally and universally as we can. Like it's it's all fem people, and that yeah. includes people who are not necessarily people in the case of our planet. Right, right. And I mean, as anyone listening must know by now, I just have to put the link to your entire Amazon page because 
And speaking of this, how many books have you authored at this point? Yeah, so um, I have uh, six that are out on shelves. Okay. And um, I, I got to uh, contribute to uh, a second edition of a, a book index set as well called The, the Witch's Oracle. Um, it was authored by my friend Marla Brooks and illustrated by Anya Khan. I, I provided a chapter on crystals and added some supplemental notes on, on gemstones for every card. And then I have signed a contract for book seven. I will be finishing the manuscript this year. I have a significant portion of it done. It does have a working title, which I'll share. Um, I don't know if I've actually shared the title on air with anyone yet. If I have, um, then I apologize if you're number two. But uh, it's, it's right now being called Flowers from the Witch's Garden using flower essences in healing magic and alchemy so wow. it's not rocks or reiki i'm doing something different it's so funny i was just when you were talking i was wondering like i wonder if he's going to do another topic but for whatever reason in my mind ritual was mm -hmm. the word that kept coming up mm -hmm. in the background like i wonder if he's going to write something on like uh focusing on ritual but flower essences that is amazing so you have to have that done like just roughly, we could expect it possibly next year? Um, more than likely the year after, I'm thinking, just, yeah. just based on when I, I'm projected to turn it in. Yeah. It'll, it'll, it, it'll probably be a little, little delay. This will be the longest time between releases, which means mm -hmm. I have the most time to savor the release of a book that I've ever had. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, obviously, I hope that you'll come back and talk to us about that. Yeah, I love, sure. you know, and again, coming from you, that's one of the things, again, um, your books are so rich with information. I mean, you can just tell your love for research and your love for, you know, really digging in and the stories. And again, it just, it just makes it all so much more ingestible. And I think it's what helps us relate even more deeply to all of these different elements. So Nicholas, I can't tell you, I've, well, I've told you a million times, but truly, I love your work. So you. glad that you're here. Um, everyone, be sure to join the class. I'm going to be there. July 16th, mark your calendars, Crystals for the Resistance. I'll put the links in the show description and good luck with the book. We'll have to see you back when you're done. <laughs> Thank you so much, Yolanda. Thank you, love. Okay, so I want to thank you so much, Nicholas, again, for coming and sharing your beautiful insights with us, the mythology, and um, even more detail around how crystals can support us in our personal resistance, but definitely with what all is going on in the world and what that is bringing up in us as individuals. So again, for everyone listening, if you want to learn more about Nicholas and his work, you can go to his Instagram, which is The Luminous Pearl, or you can go down into the show description and find links for his Amazon page, check out his books, and also purchase your tickets for Crystals for the Resistance, which takes place on July 16th online. It is a Zoom webinar, and I would love to see you there. So that is all for today. If you have anything you would like to share, any insights that have come up for you on the show, always feel free to reach out to me. You can contact me through my website, theenergeticalchemist.com, and sign up for the newsletter to access your free gifts while you're there. So I hope you have a beautiful day, and remember to always journey in love.